we're all fighting battles, aren't we? How many of you sometimes feel like you're surrounded? If we're going to try and fight our battles in our own strength, we will lose. Contrary to what the world has told you, you are not good enough, you are not strong enough, you are not smart enough. Our enemy is much stronger, much more crafty. But our God has never lost, can never lose. It's in Jesus' name that we find victory. He is how we fight our battles. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, um, I don't know what every person is going through here, but you do. I don't know what battles you have in store for me around the corner, but you do. Father, we face enemies, the enemy of our souls. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. That's not our battle. But with principalities and powers in this dark world. (coughs) Father, my greatest enemy is my own sin. I pray for each person here that you would strengthen our minds and our hearts to see beyond the moment to see beyond our feelings, to see beyond our failures, to look to the cross. Now bless our time together, Father. Open our minds to your word as only your Holy Spirit can do. Speak beyond your servant's faltering tongue. Protect us from the opinions of man that we might hear only your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Back in the early 2000s, um, before and, and for a while after we started the church, I spent a lot of time um, trying to figure out where the Lord was taking us ministry-wise in the area. And uh, so to make ends meet, I, I became a substitute teacher, not something I had ever planned on. And uh, I found that I loved it. It was a fantastic opportunity to be able to be in a classroom with uh, students, uh, mostly from here locally at RV and and uh, through a number of other districts in the area. One of the things that I loved was uh, the long-term subbing, to be able to be in a situation where I could have the same kids in the same setting for an extended period of time uh, made me almost feel like a real teacher for a minute. <clears throat> And, and during uh, a time when I was teaching English at River Valley for, uh, for a semester, uh, one of my favorite seasons of life was during that time, was uh, coaching football with uh, my brother uh, for Tom Palin, uh, the only guy who was crazy enough to hire us. And uh, so it, it was a great opportunity, got to build a lot of relationships. And if you haven't heard that story uh, catch one of us who've been around for a while and, and we can share it with you. But uh, that 
classroom experience and, and largely football is how real life began. God used something as silly as a, as a, a kid's game that men play uh, to start this work uh, in, in building the kingdom. But that's not what I, I just got excited. That was completely not part of what I was supposed to talk about today. What I did want to tell you is that during that time when I was, uh, when I was teaching English during uh, that semester, I also taught the drama class. And in that drama class, one of my favorite things to do uh, was to play with the students a board game called Moods. Anybody heard of it? Anybody remember that game? My, I know my kids have. We had it at home. Uh, in this game, what made it cool and weird was that you would have these random phrases like, you know, I can't start my lawnmower or something. And, and you would have to say that phrase in a prescribed mood. So you would have, if you're in our uh, Wednesday and Friday Bible studies and dig and discover principles, you're recognizing that really we're talking about tone and trying to set a mood. So as I would read these random statements, or the kids would read these random statements, they would have to portray that in, in the, the mood that was prescribed, which could be all sorts of bizarre things. So, you know, I, my refrigerator isn't working. You might have to read in a mood of uh, ecstasy. How do you do that? And so the fun of it came because there was a a dissonance, kind of a disconnect between the content that you were reading and the tone or the mood with which you were reading it, right? So you, you put this feeling into it that doesn't match the content that you're actually reading. Incidentally, a little sidebar, this is completely free, no charge at all. Uh, there's an old Sesame Street episode where Susan Sarandon goes through the alphabet uh, in this acting exercise in different moods, and it's hilarious and great, and she does a fantastic job. I don't recommend everything that she did, but Sesame Street, that was, that was golden era. So, I digress. There is often in our own lives a disconnect, a dissonance between the reality and our feelings. The content of God's word often doesn't match what we feel in a particular moment. Our world seems to be nearly entirely driven by feelings, but there is often that, that dissonance between the feelings that drive us and objective reality. The text we're going to be considering today addresses that very issue. So I'd invite you as we continue in our In the Wilderness series to turn to the book of Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. If you're not sure where that is, if you start at the beginning, it's the fourth book of the Bible, so you can work your way through there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. If you get to Deuteronomy, you went too far and you got to work too hard to spell it, so come back a little bit, you get to Numbers, right? While you're looking that up or getting it up on your device, just kind of recap a little bit. If you've been with us, you know we, we went through this, uh, this story, this unit of thought, pericope, if you will, uh, in chapters 13 and 14, a uh, story that we're all familiar with. The children of Israel having left Egypt and received the law, now they're moving into the promised land. They're at the, the, the very precipice of coming into the holy land that God has promised them as the inheritance for his children. 
And they get there and they send in the 12 spies representing the 12 tribes. These are our chiefs. They have a headship uh, here within the tribes. And as these 12 go in, you remember the Sunday school song from your childhood days, some of you. Ten were bad and two were good. They come back with this report that it's a fantastic land flowing with milk and honey. Everything that the Lord has told us is true. It's beyond your imagination. Here, look at this giant cluster of grapes. It took two of us to carry it on a pole to get it here. Uh, But there's giants in the land. And there's a lot of people occupying the space. And so, no thanks. Let's go back to Egypt brilliant plan they actually want to reverse the exodus god delivered them with mighty miracles brought them out of oppression and slavery and they're like you know what i was more comfortable there so let me go back into oppression people like to talk about freedom a lot until they realize the cost of it you and i are like that things get hard Our feelings can shake us. And we turn back. We turn away from God's protection, His provision, His promise, even His presence. We look at what He's bringing into our lives and we can even recognize it as good and glorious but my feelings are telling me something else. I'm going to follow my feelings. All right, so with that lingering in your minds, let's read the first nine verses together of Numbers chapter 14. Uh, I have largely been reading from the ESV lately, and today I will be uh, returning to the NIV 1984 edition, which we all know as heaven's preferred translation all right so here we go that night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud all the israelites grumbled against moses and aaron and the whole assembly said to them if only we had died in egypt or in this desert why is the lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them, Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. We'll get to that section later on in another message. But today, as we focus on those first nine verses, we see this core reality. When feelings mislead, 
faith chooses the truth of God's word. When feelings mislead, truth, uh, faith chooses the truth of God's word. Caleb and Joshua faced the same issues here as everybody else. All the other spies, they saw these things. Joshua and Caleb didn't have different eyes. They just had a different vision. They saw the same things. In all likelihood, because humans tend to be a lot alike, they felt the same things. Whoa, that's a lot of people. You got the Hittites, you got the Amorites, you got all these people. They're living in all these places. There's no place for us to go. We're not going to face a battle. It's like we're surrounded. And they're giants. Man, I don't know if I can do that. The difference is Caleb and Joshua didn't care if they could do that because they weren't relying on themselves. Don't fall into the trap of thinking they were somehow super superheroes or super spiritual characters. They were human beings like everybody else, felt the same things as everybody else, tempted to go their way the same as everybody else, but they saw something bigger. A little later on, the Lord says, Caleb isn't like y'all. Caleb follows me with his whole heart. So when y'all fall in the wilderness, Caleb goes into the promised land along with Joshua and their families because they saw truth. They saw the reality that is not merely what they saw with their eyes and felt with their hearts. When feelings mislead, faith chooses the truth of God's word. They saw the same stuff, but they chose to set their hearts on the character and promises of the Lord in spite of fear or threat. Our memory verse for today is from Hebrews 11.1. And in the ESV that reads, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. They chose to see the truth of God's word as more significant than their circumstances or feelings. They saw the giants, but that didn't matter. The giants didn't matter. Their concern about the dangers paled in comparison to the reality of God's promise and his presence. They let God be their vision. They let the King Eternal lead them into battle. The people would turn away. But Joshua and Caleb were like, man, these people are bred for us. Let's go. Yeah, they're big. So what? Are they as big as God? I don't think so. If God's on our side, you may have heard this before, who can stand against us? This is how Caleb and Joshua would fight the battles. In fact, later on, once they come into the promised land, in the book of Joshua, which actually ought to be chapter 15 here, but because of the sin of the Israelites, they have to go through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and have a generation pass before we get to the book of Joshua. But in the book of Joshua, what we see is Joshua takes over for Moses, 
because Moses, due to his own faithless choice, is not allowed to come in. But Joshua fights battle after battle after battle throughout the book that bears his name, doing exactly what they're talking about here. Trusting that the Lord will deliver them no matter what they face. The entire book of Joshua has almost no failing. There is one particular story that stands out as there is sin in the camp that is hidden and it leads to a failure and a rout. They repent, purify the camp of the sin, and they go on trusting God. And throughout the rest of the book of Joshua, we see victory upon victory and grace upon grace. Then we get to the book of Judges and see the exact, exact opposite, which reminds me, unfortunately, far too much of my own life. They chose to see the truth of God's word as more significant than their circumstances or feelings. They focused on what God said and who God was. And as the hymn says, the things of earth became strangely dim for them. Well, let's take a look at some of the principles. As we go back through this a second time, we've seen the big picture of the story. There are faithless choices that have consequences, and yet God remains faithful. That's the theme of the book of Numbers. We recognize that, that God is patient with us in our weakness, but He does not let wicked unbelief go unpunished. Today, as we wrestle with this idea of our feelings, we see that when feelings mislead, faith chooses the truth of God's Word. Mark this down on your programs if you're taking notes. Fear is universal. Cowardice is sin. Fear is universal. Cowardice is sin. Some of you already know that I'm going to quote that great 20th century theologian, Marian Morrison, perhaps you know him better as John Wayne, and tell you that courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. I would rephrase that. I don't know that Duke recognized it quite the same way, but that's exactly what faith is. It's being scared to death and choosing to obey God, period. I feel all sorts of things. My feelings can easily mislead me, but I know that God's word is eternal. It does not change, and God does not fail. Therefore, no matter how I feel, no matter how confused I may be about life, no matter how much anxiety or stress I'm dealing with, I choose to saddle up anyway and obey the living God. That's where, where they are. They're dealing with this idea of fear. All of the people of Israel are overcome by it. Fear is universal. Two of them choose not to bow down to the idol of their fear. <coughs> Cowardice is sin. The reality of fear is inevitable. Everybody is going to face it. There's nobody in this room who is awake and alive who has not dealt with fear. Sometimes we call it by different names, worry, anxiety, stress, 
being afraid of a particular circumstance. Some of you in this room I know serve time in combat. There's no way you get through that without fear. But if you let the fear dominate you, you fail. And you probably don't survive. When you do what needs to be done in the face of that fear, despite the feelings, despite the threat, or more literally, in spite of the threat. I know grammarians don't like that these days, but to spite that threat, to spite that fear, you do the right thing because the right thing must be done. Fear is universal. Cowardice is sin. The reality of fear is inevitable, but failure to trust the Lord is a choice. Failure to trust the Lord is a choice. I heard Tony Evans say uh, in a sermon, I don't know how old the sermon was, but I, I listened to him say, faith is a matter of your feet, not your feelings. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's a matter of doing what God commands you to do because He is God and you are not, and you trust Him. God, I don't see how this is going to happen. I'm petrified. But I trust you. It feels like I'm surrounded right now. But if I recognize the reality that the living God, the creator of the universe, the commander of angel armies is on my side and is actually the one surrounding me, then I see just as Elijah showed Elisha that those who are with me far greater in number and in force than those who are against me. And the Lord opened his eyes to see chariots of fire and angels you and I need to recognize the reality that's bigger than what we feel. Fear is something we feel, whereas faith is something we do. We don't control our feelings. We're going to feel stuff. If I put my hand on a hot stove, I can tell myself it doesn't hurt, but it does, right? I, I used to do that with the electric fence at the farm, and I could do that for a little while. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Anybody touched an electric fence before? Whoo, doggy. Well, I'm going to tell you, the fence I grew up with wasn't like the fence I got now because I got these hairy cows with a thick hide, and they, they're pretty resistant to it. So I went from one that was about, you know, one to 2,000 volts, you know, on a good day to one that's eight to 9,000 volts. You can ask my mom. She's experienced it. She laid on the ground. Uh, mom, are you okay? Uh, Mom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count to three, and if you don't respond, I'm calling the ambulance. I didn't know what happened. Eventually, she got up because she didn't want anybody coming. And I used to be able to touch the electric fence when we were raising kids because dairy cows, they're, they're kind of sissies. They don't like that shock, right? So they respond to it pretty well. And I could touch it, and I could, you know, I could show my friends how tough I was because I, I I've been shocked enough times, no big deal. I could mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter, right? I can't do that with this. My dear sweet daughter, one time when I was working on the fence, saw that the charger was unplugged and thought she'd do me a favor and plugged it in. <laughs> no exaggeration. For the next six to eight hours, I thought I had separated my shoulder. I mean, it was, it was painful. And I said, okay, that'll keep them in. We don't control our feelings. When it hurts, it hurts. When we're scared, we're scared. Sometimes 
It just is what it is. Let me go a step farther. Those feelings, those emotions, involve a lot more things than fear. We'll get to it a little bit more later. I don't necessarily control, on a surface level anyway, attractions. You know, you've heard so many times, the heart wants what the heart wants. <sighs> Sappy stuff, but we hear that stuff, don't we? I can't control who I'm attracted to or what I'm attracted to. Okay. But you do control what you do about it. I've been married for over 30 years. I am absolutely in love with my wife. I think my wife is the most gorgeous creature God ever created. If you think for a minute that I haven't seen other gorgeous creatures in 30 years, then either you're dead or we are drastically different. But there's one woman in my life. Always and forever, one. Feelings don't matter. Feelings come and go. And if you know anything about how attraction works, when we're talking about sexual romantic attraction, it wanes with familiarity. That girl you were so into in high school that you so wanted to date and then you finally dated her, it wasn't that long before she wasn't nearly as, as hot and attractive as she was when you were chasing her. Nobody wants to say it, but you know it's true. Familiarity breeds contempt. It has to be more. What governs our lives has to be more foundational, more lasting more rational than just feelings. We don't control our feelings. We control what we do in the face of our feelings. Understand the nature of faith is that faith embraces the reality that feelings obscure. Think about that for a moment. I left you some space. You can write it down if you want. Faith embraces the reality that feelings obscure. Isn't that exactly what Caleb and Joshua do differently than everybody else? The feelings that they have when they see their circumstances obscure the reality of God. They've forgotten in the moment that this is the same God who put his name on them who told the priest to pray over them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. In other words, to have intimacy, to make you his own and give you peace. They forgot that that's how God put his name on them, that they are his covenant people and that God had already told them, I'm going to bring you in. He had already prepared them for battle. But when he prepared them for battle and he took the census of the people and organized them to fight, he organized them around the tabernacle with him, himself, at the center. God, in the presence of his people, this is the victory. He is our victory. They forgot that. The feelings obscured that reality. But Caleb and Joshua, by faith, chose to see the reality, not just follow their feelings. That's exactly 
what we need to see from them, what we need to learn as we look at their lives. They chose to look past the way things seemed and the way they felt and to take God at His word. They put Him first. Fear is universal. Cowardice is sin. Notice secondly, as we look at Caleb and Joshua, cowardice is the choice to let fear be the idol to which we bow. Cowardice is the choice to let fear be the idol to which we bow. Idolatry is kind of a big deal to God, right? There's a lot of talk about this. But recognize it's not just carved idols, graven images that we worship. It's anything that we value more than God. It's anything that we trust more than God. And so as we choose to let the fear drive, we're going to feel it. It's going to be there. When we choose to let it drive, we're choosing to bow down to that fear as if it were our God, as if it gets to rule our lives. Cowardice is the choice to let fear be the idol to which we bow. Sin comes not in our feelings, not in having fears, but in trusting those feelings more than God. In James 1, you don't have to turn there, and I don't think I have it for you in your program, so you might jot it down. In James 1, we're told that that each one of us is tempted when we're dragged away by our own lusts. The NIV calls it our own evil desires and enticed. Then, sin comes. Having the temptation show up is because we're walking around in this earth suit. Because while we are no longer, when we are in Christ, we are no longer under the penalty of sin, and He has broken the power of sin, but we still face the presence of sin. So when Paul in Romans 7 is wrestling with his struggles, as the writer of Scripture, the great apostle, and he's struggling with, why is it that I... I want to do right and I don't. Why do I keep sinning when I hate sin and my, my inner person delights in the law of God? My will joyfully conforms to God's will. Why do I keep sinning? And he realizes by the grace of God, it's no longer I that sin, but it's sin still living in me. I don't want it. God doesn't want me doing it. I want what God wants, but here I am still stuck. Praise God, he goes on to say, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. Here's the, here's the thing. We're going to have these feelings come, and when the devil tells us that the feelings themselves are breaking our fellowship with God, we can spiral and we lose faith. We need to recognize that the feeling is an opportunity for us to glorify God by rejecting sinful desires. To say, I, I recognize this temptation, but if it's not what I want, and it's not what God wants, it's only a temptation when I make it a temptation. When I allow it to drag me away and entice me until I bow down to it as an idol. And I refuse and when I choose faith 
over feelings, God is glorified. Sin comes not in our feelings, not in having fears, but in trusting those feelings more than God. Ultimately, we show that we treasure them, the feelings, we value them more than we do the Lord in that particular moment. We would not ever say that out loud, would we? But that's what we're doing. I would encourage you, if you're battling temptation, just say that to yourself. That's what that, if I give into this, what I'm saying is, this is more important to me than God. There is no magic formula, by the way. I grew up hearing when, when temptation comes, just, you know, say, get thee behind me, Satan, right? Many of you heard that same thing. The interesting thing is, we're taking that dramatically out of context, because Jesus isn't telling us that that's a formula for dealing with temptation. He's rebuking Peter. He's rebuking his disciple for seeing things through the eyes of flesh instead of following faith. There is no magic formula. I, I also learned, my grandma told me, just imagine that Jesus is sitting right beside you, right? It's a good practice, and I think it's a, a really good thing. But none of these things have caused me to live a sinless life. And I'm betting they haven't caused you to live a sinless life either. They're tools, they're useful, but they only go as far as we take them. I've got a trunk full of tools in my car that my son's driving right now. Those tools do me no good in the trunk. They only work when they're in my hands. I have to choose to use them. In this text, as we see Caleb and Joshua set in contrast with the people, the people are allowing feelings of fear to rule them. But it doesn't stop with feelings of fear. We see that cowardice is the choice to let fear be the idol to which we bow. Mark this down, any feelings that we trust more than God's word are idols. Any feelings that we trust more than God's word are idols. So many of our feelings rise up as rivals to God for our true allegiance. This is really the very root and nature of sin. Any rival to God is an idol. Any feelings that we trust more than God's word are idols. Some of you today are dealing with temptations that you don't want anybody to know about. Besetting sins, where that sin is dwelling in you, and it's become such a habit for you that it feels like you can't let go of it, and it has in many ways become your identity. God says our identity is in Christ. And if you have received Him by faith, you are united to him, and your new identity is as a reborn child of God, adopted by him. That, that picture of adoption that Paul specifically uses in Ephesians 1 means to have the same standing legally as a natural-born child, as the natural-born son. What Paul is saying in, in telling us that we are adopted by God, by his grace is that those who have received Christ by faith and have been given the right to become children of God, John 1, 12, 
have the exact same standing before God as Jesus Christ himself. I implore you to let that sink in to your mind and to your heart. You still are going to struggle. But God has declared you legally on the same footing as Jesus himself. He did that. You didn't. I didn't. We couldn't. He's how we fight our battles. Any feelings that we trust more than God's word are idols. This is where the story is. So when we take these principles and we put them in our own lives, we see some things. We'll see four more things here. Did I count that right? I think it's four. Note this. The feelings of our flesh are not ultimately trustworthy. The feelings of our flesh are not ultimately trustworthy. Recently, uh, one of our memory verses was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. It's not a matter of our own wisdom, our own understanding, our own feelings. We're hearing so often today about people who feel like they're not the gender that, that they've been told they were. I don't feel like I'm actually a male or a female. I don't feel like those labels actually exist, and yet we see that God's Word says that He created them male and female. We can look at it, and, and some of us, you can deal with your own self in the mirror, maybe have been guilty of mocking those dealing with situations like this. I want to encourage us all not, not to give credence to it. Sin ought to be mocked. Mock the devil. Don't mock the victim. These people are victims. They've been deceived. And we need to recognize that trusting our feelings can take us in the wrong direction because our feelings can tell us things that are not true. Feelings are not ultimately trustworthy. Turn, if you would, just real quickly to Jeremiah 17, mostly because... I know that a lot of you don't know where Jeremiah is. So if you go to the Psalms in the middle of your Bible and you move to the right a little bit, you'll see a couple of big books. You get past some smaller ones and you'll see Isaiah. He's one of the major prophets. Major prophets write big books. You go past Isaiah to Jeremiah. Not quite as big a book, but it's still pretty big. Chapter 17. It's a verse that if you have not memorized in the past, I would encourage you to take it to heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Another rendering might say, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? When we trust our heart, when we trust our feelings, 
we're in a dangerous place because the feelings of our flesh are not ultimately trustworthy. Notice, secondly, trusting God over our feelings doesn't come naturally. Trusting God over our feelings doesn't come naturally. Self-preservation does not care about God's will or His glory. Our natural focus is on self, not on God. Our feelings are innately self-centered. That's how it works. I smash my thumb with a hammer. I'm not thinking about finer points of theology. All I'm thinking about is my thumb hurts, and I hope I don't say something I'm going to regret where my mother hears me. And probably, you're not even thinking about that. Not if you smashed it good. The feelings in my thumb dominate everything, and they are innately self-focused. It's about me. It's about how I feel. has nothing to do with anything else in the world. Nobody, when you smash your thumb with a hammer, cares about who's president. You don't care about politics. You don't care about the immorality you saw on television. You care about your feelings in the moment. Have you ever noticed when a loved one dies, nothing else in the world even matters anymore? So often, I can't ever possibly take time off of work. Then that tragedy happens, and I don't care about work. It doesn't matter to me right now. I have more important things. Feelings direct us inward but sometimes they do help us clarify priorities. Sometimes those feelings can remind us that there are things more important. Because I've been chasing these feelings and now there's something more primary or more primal. In any case, the nature of our feelings, as we said, is not ultimately trustworthy, trustworthy but they're ultimately driven by ourselves. The flesh is not focused on God's will or God's glory. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. We've been in the Old Testament. Jump to the New. So you're going to be about, say, four-fifths of the way through the book. Just shortly past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you see the book of Acts, and right after that is the book of Romans. Romans 8 talking a lot about memory, that is a chapter worth memorizing. As you find Romans 8, start with verse 5. Paul writes, Those who live according to the sinful nature, another rendering might say according to the flesh, have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Okay, Flesh and Spirit not looking for the same things. The mind of the flesh, the mind of sinful man, is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Check out verses 7 and 8. The sinful mind, the mind controlled by the flesh, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature, by the flesh, cannot 
please God. Turn to Hebrews 11. You're going to go back farther to the right. If you get to Revelation, you went too far. Hebrews is right before James and then a bunch of skinny little letters. Find Hebrews 11. You might mark it because we'll be back here in a few minutes. Find Hebrews 11, 6. Remember that the, the, the mind controlled by the sinful nature, by the flesh, is actually opposed to God. It's hostile to God. Can't submit to God. Cannot please God. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He is, that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek Him. Trusting God over our feelings doesn't come naturally. It's not the nature of our feelings. The flesh isn't focused on God's will or God's glory. Our natural feelings are about what we want, not what God wants. What we think will make us feel better, even if it's actually harmful to us and contrary to our purpose. It might work in the short term, but it might destroy us in the long term. Trusting God over our feelings doesn't come naturally. Notice this. Truth remains true no matter what. Truth remains true no matter what. If you turn to uh, 1 Peter, since you're in Hebrews, just go a little bit to the right. Go past James to 1 Peter. If you get to John's letters, you went too far. Here we find in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25, or 24 and 25, I think it is, uh, we see uh, Peter quoting Isaiah 40, verse 8. Truth remains true no matter what. Here's how Peter says it. I'll start with, uh, I'll start with 23 because I want to. We're really looking at 24 and 25, but 23 is a good one, so we're going to stick it in. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. God has declared you to be His if you are in Christ. If you have received Christ by faith, it's not a matter of how you feel. It's not a matter of the work that you have done and put into this. It's not a matter of how well you walk it out. That is not the determining factor. The determining factor is what Christ has done on the cross, that you have been justified and been given new life in His resurrection with Him. And when your heart, when your heart fails you, and speaks against you, or the devil comes and accuses you, you must rest in the enduring Word of God. He goes on to clarify this, quoting Isaiah in verses 24 and 25, For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the Word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Truth remains true no matter what. 
more for you to look at. You can check it out on your own. They're listed for you in your program. So you're sensible people, as Alistair Begg likes to say, and I want to encourage you. Don't, don't wait for me to tell you stuff. Read the book. You got the same book I got, right? Read it. Next point, as we get ready to wrap this up. Don't get excited. We're not there yet. But. Faith embraces what is real regardless of what seems real. I'm going to say that again slowly so that your ears can hear it, your mind can process it, and your heart can embrace it. Faith embraces what is real regardless of what seems real. Faith aligns our thinking with reality despite overwhelming feelings to the contrary. I'll say that again. Faith aligns our thinking with reality despite overwhelming feelings to the contrary. If our thoughts reflect truth, then our feelings will reflect reality. This is why in Philippians 4, 8, Paul says on these wonderful, praiseworthy, excellent things that reflect the character and nature of God, this is where you focus your mind. All these things that you do that, that take you in a worldly direction, some of them overtly evil and wicked and you know it. Some of them just seemingly neutral as if anything in the universe is actually neutral. And they cause you to drift. Your thoughts become self-driven and your feelings begin to take over. And Paul says, listen, all your anxiety, come on, man. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let me say it again, rejoice. And he says, God is near, so because God is near, let your gentleness, the character of Christ in you, be evident to all. And don't be anxious about things. Don't, don't let your fear dominate you. But instead, bring it to God. Hand it over to Him. Turn it over to Him with requests. Yes, supplication. Yes, with thanksgiving. Have gratitude in your heart for what God is doing for you. And when you do that, when you turn all of the junk, all the feelings over to Him, and you're thankful, then what you find is that His peace beyond what you're able to understand, your, your mind's not going to be able to figure out how or why, He will guard your hearts. But I got to tell you, if you're chasing after the feeling of peace, then you make that feeling an idol. If you're grateful for what God is doing, what He has promised to do, and you are turning all of your cares over to Him, not worrying about how it feels, He'll take care of the feelings when it's time. In His time. Not yours or mine. Faith embraces what is real regardless of what seems real. If you still have Hebrews 11 marked, let's, let's look there. 
Starting with our memory verse in verse 1. It'll sound a little different as I read it from what is printed in your program because I'm reading from the NIV 84. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now we, we get a whole listing here. Folks call it the, the Faith Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith. All these, uh, these Bible characters and patriarchs who have uh, gone before us and trusted God in the face of overwhelming circumstances. We'll just read part of that. Here's the beginning. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. We trust that God did what God said, that God created everything. No scientist will ever be able to prove or disprove the creation account because we're not there. We can do forensic science and try to put pieces together, but we can't know, we can't prove it, we can't see it. But we take it on faith. God has given us evidence to believe, therefore we believe Him. Verse 4, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. That's a great story we don't have time to get into, but... Enoch was taken up from the earth, just translated to heaven, as it were. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. He goes on to tell us about Noah and Abraham and so on. and He even goes on to say, I don't have time to tell you about all these others that are going through. But if you jump ahead to verse 39 of the chapter, the writer of Hebrews says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them re- received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Faith goes beyond what you see in the moment to trust God's word as reality. Bigger, stronger, louder than our circumstances, the giants we face, the feelings that seek to dominate us. Faith acknowledges the fearful circumstances and recognizes God as bigger. He is great. We've discussed this before. That means He is able. He's vast and powerful. And He is also good. His character is loving and willing to care for us. And as we have mentioned previously, it is heinous blasphemy and self-deceiving to see him any other way. All right. When feelings mislead, faith chooses the truth of God's word. 
That same faith that we're talking about is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the convictions of the things that we don't currently see. Understand that the enemy will use our feelings to deceive, distract, and discourage us. We must trust the truth of God's word and the saving work of Jesus Christ. No matter how we may feel or what circumstances we may face. You get to choose. Feelings will come. Feelings will go. You get to decide what you're going to do about it. Let's pray. Father, as we encounter your word today, I pray earnestly, Lord, that these things that we are discussing and seeing in your word would be bigger more profound, wiser than anything that I could possibly say myself. That they would dominate our minds and hearts rather than feelings dominating us. Father, help us in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing not to be swayed, not to be tossed about on winds of doctrine or waves of feelings but to see your word as the rock on which we stand help us in this moment Lord to set our hearts on you so that no matter what other voices might might come into our minds that we would not be deceived distracted or discouraged we would be stayed on you. We pray this in the glorious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.